clap for Jesus. It's good to be in his house. Are you doing all right this morning, family? You doing all right? It's good to be found in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. Those joining us online for the first time, welcome. And as always, a special hello to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Clap for them. Well, hey, we're going to finish out this short series on prayer um, as we entitled this series Echo. And um, how many were blessed by Pastor John last week? Um, He's not too bad. For a redhead, we say, you're pretty good, John. I love that man. He is, uh, he's John, Pastor John is steady. If you could describe him, he's steady. You know, people in your life, some people are like, you know, always frantic and they're crazy and they're down and they're up and they're down and and John's just, he's steady. And uh, we need people like that. How many of you know that you need people like that in your world? (laughs) You're like, I need someone. Where are they at? Where are the steady people at? And, um, but just so grateful for Pastor John and just who he is to us as a family and, and, um. Well, today, I want to let you know that we have a resource for you before you go today. Um, If you want, you can take one of these. Our team will be handing them out at the doors as you exit. Our team put this together. It's entitled Echo. It's a devotional um, covering about 25 of the most common questions we as a church get surrounding the topic of prayer. We want to equip you. We want you to be able to not only understand God's word and feel equipped, but we want you to be prepared to share your faith with other people as well. So make sure as you leave today, you pick up one of these. Um, They're free for you. Um, And I I should probably say this because of our growing family, while supplies last. (laughs) I always say, do we have enough? And they're like, yeah, yeah. They keep ordering more. And they're like, we don't have enough. I'm just like, while supplies last. It'll be available on our app as well for you to read. I want to talk to you today about a lifestyle of prayer, lifestyle of prayer. How many know, how many of you feel the tension sometimes of knowing what you should do, but you don't do it? (laughs) I was um, just talking, I was talking with my wife this morning and studying the commonalities of behaviors amongst people. You could take maybe three of the most pressing things in your life. Talk about um, health and fitness. Um, Talk about finances. Talk about your spiritual life. Dave Ramsey would teach that 80% of your financial success is surrounded not by your intellect of finances, but by your behavior with money. 20% is your head knowledge. And 80% is what you do with what you know. We struggle with that. We're not very good at that. Why? Because we seem to be moved more commonly by our emotions and our circumstances than we do the disciplines of what is right and how we should live and operate. If you move out of the realm of finances and into the realm of fitness, um, I I go to this gym in the morning, um, not as often as I should, but if I'm there a few days a week, I'll, I'll hear this multiple times, whether it's through one or two or three different trainers, they'll, they'll say that um, 80% of your health is your diet. As you are dying in the workout, sweating profusely, thinking, this is it, it's going to fix everything, they remind you it's only 20%. And you're like, really? 
they're informing you that there's more than one component to be successful in the realm of your physical fitness. So the same is true in your finances, in the area of stewardship. The same is true in our physical fitness and the way that we care for our, our bodies. And I want to talk to you today about a lifestyle of prayer. Now, how many of you know that prayer is powerful? <laughs> now, how many of you wish that your prayer life was... <laughs> Let me talk about me. Do I wish my prayer life was different? It depends what day you talk to me. <laughs> Some days I, I, I don't know if I could pray anymore. Other days I, I feel like I haven't spent enough time with God. I'm reminded of what Billy Graham said before he went to be with the Lord. They asked him, someone asked him at one point in his journey, like what would you, if you could look back, what would you have done more? And he just said, I would have prayed more. I would have spent more time in the word of God. I think there's certain things that we know we should do and we don't do them and we are always left with our hands kind of like this, like, yeah, but I, I just don't know why. And we just get caught in the busyness of life. The disciples were following Jesus and they asked Jesus, they said, hey, John, the Baptist taught people how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 13, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray and he gives them a format. It's a format it's interesting, and I've, I've heard it taught that in Ephesians, um, there is this prayer that Paul offers to the church, which is the prayer that is really a prayer for the church. I've shared it a few weeks ago with you, but it's a prayer of, of the church, the establishment of the church. While this prayer is maybe pre-foundation of the church established, being established by Christ, Jesus lays a framework of how we should pray. And let's read what it says in the text. Jesus says, now it came to pass... This is what, the, what Luke writes. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, and I'm sorry if you've learned the Lord's Prayer in King James. We're not going to do that, but we'll do it in the new King James. But our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it the way I memorize it. I'm not even reading the word. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I read that and I say that. And I dwell upon that often. And when I really go through it and I go line by line, I, I almost see this stark. I, I, I see these principles underlining in what Christ was telling the disciples. I see this underlining principle and I want to go through them with you this morning. I want to share with you what I see and what has helped me when Jesus is teaching them how to pray and he goes through this prayer, I almost feel like he's trying to secure certain parts of their, of their life in the way that they commune or talk with God. doesn't want it to be... And some of you are confident in your prayer because you, you're eloquent in how you pray. And some of you are confident in your prayer life because you've been in a relationship with the Lord. Some of you feel insecure about praying. You leave that to the pastor's... <laughs> You leave that to those who are more mature, but I want to tell you when you've 
surrendered your life to Jesus and you declare that He is the Lord of your life, He desires desperately to be in relationship with you. What does it mean to pray? It means to commune with God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to listen to His voice, to know His voice, to be in constant relationship with the Lord. And I don't believe it's just for a select few. I don't, I don't think it's for the super spiritual in the room. I don't think it's for just some of you and others. It's just like, well, sorry, you know. It's, no, it's for all of us. And in the Word of God, when it tells us, when He's teaching us to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There, I believe those two lines, if, if you were to ask me, what does that really, what is Jesus really trying to teach them? He, I, I would see that and hear that, and I would hear Him pleading with the disciples to make sure that they never lose their identity in their heavenly Father. That that should be the foremost principle of your life and my life, that our identity is rooted in Christ Jesus. That there's nothing greater than to, for us to pray is to acknowledge our heavenly Father, that He is holy. We should have a reverence towards Him. Do You know, in John 10, 27, Jesus says, no, the sheep, he is the great shepherd. He says, no, my sheep, they know my voice. When they hear me, they know me, and I know them. And how do we know the voice of the Lord? The only way you know the voice of the Lord is if you spend time with the Lord. And what does it mean to spend time with the Lord? You're like, hold on, Pastor, do you, do you audibly hear God? I don't audibly hear the Lord, but I know the Word of God. And you can spend time with the Lord in just you and, just you and God. You can spend time knowing his heart, knowing his desire, knowing his will by opening his word. Um, wrestling is a sport that my family was always involved in growing up. Some people think wrestling is for crazy people, and you might be right. And, but wrestling, you would wear a headgear most of the time in collegiate and high school wrestling. And wrestling, it would be difficult it's usually difficult in a gym. If you, how many of you have ever been to a wrestling match? Um, do you know in a gymnasium how loud it gets? And it's literally like if you are, don't like loud noises, stay away. And it's just screaming and yelling, parents pleading, don't hurt my kid. If you hurt my kid, I'm going to hurt you. And, and it's just a lot of yelling and screaming when there's multiple matches going. It's just chaos. Well, then you put on top of that, you have a headgear on to cover your ear. Not that it actually works, but you put it on and you, it covers your ears from getting, you know, mashed into, you know, unidentifiable objects. And um, you wear that and the most peculiar thing happens if you ask any wrestler. That in the midst of all the chaos and all the craziness and everyone screaming and everyone yelling and people like literally you can just lose your bearing and be overwhelmed to be like, I have to leave the gymnasium. But in the middle of all that, you ask any wrestler and they're exhausted, they're tired, they're wrestling, but they can often always hear one voice. And if you were to ask me like, well, how, how could you do that? How could you hear one voice above every single person screaming in the gym? How could you hear one voice? You can, I, family, it's so peculiar, but the voice you hear is a voice you are most familiar with. You're like, okay, well, that's, that's not a novel concept. It's not, but it draws greater strength to the idea of the voice that you are familiar with always rises to the top of every other voice. And so for many of us, when we talk about a prayer life, 
We're going to go into other verses as Paul says some things that, to be honest with you, if you're dealing with something difficult, when I read these verses, you'll get angry when you hear them at first. Because he's telling you about the posture of your countenance as it relates to prayer. He's telling you your, your countenance and your posture should be in a certain place. And if it's not, and you're here today, and you're not joyful, you're not content, you're not, you're not secure in God, and he's telling you you should be, there's a sense of like, well, I'm not. Well, what's wrong with me, you know? Or more or less, I've read it in the past, like, what's wrong with you, Paul, you know? But, but the truth is, is he's trying to let us understand that the voice we'll hear more often and more clearly is the voice we're most familiar with. To find your identity solely and rooted solely in Christ. Our Father in heaven. To have a strong identity in Jesus. The verse, the prayer goes on and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I, listen, is, is the will of the Father always evident around us? No, that's why he instructs us to pray that his will would happen here on earth as it is in heaven. And so what does that mean for us? It means that our priorities in life should be to bring and usher in the will of heaven here on earth. Constantly saying, God, may your will happen here. And you might ask, well, what is the will of God? The will of God is the word of God. Whatever is declared in the word of God is the will of God. And to bring that will here before people. Praying that heaven would be brought. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ should be the greatest reflection of heaven here on earth. I believe that with all my heart. And you're like, man, there is a lot of jacked up people here. <laughs> you're right. But the presence of God is here. <laughs> and the word of God is here. And if we humble ourselves and keep ourselves postured before God in a place of humility and surrender, and gratitude and thanksgiving, God will transform us, enable us to love one another in a way that is honoring and pleasing to him. I believe that pr that, that principle is to keep our priorities right. As Jesus says, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. He doesn't say, find a place to put seeking me in there. No, he says it should be first. It should be first. And for all of us to know that. See, I, I'm convinced of, of these things. I started talking to you this morning about finances and fitness and talked to you about how really what we think is the magic in it is really, there's, there's no magic to it. It's actually quite simple. But what we know, we don't do. And so what is it then? Do we force ourselves? Well, there's something quite fascinating about this. I believe that the devil tries to prohibit us and prevent us from spending time with God. The more you spend time with God, the more you want to spend time with God. The more you worship the Lord, the more you want to worship the Lord. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. The more you read, the more you want to read. If you would have come up to me 15 years ago at the beginning of, of, of my time in ministry and you would have asked me, hey, talk, teach me about this. Teach me about this nature or this character of God or teach me about this. I would have kind of proudly said, well, you know, this is what this commentary and this is what this commentary. And this fascinating thing, the more I read, the more I'm aware of what I do not know. And it keeps getting bigger. <laughs> And but God's majesty and his splendor, there's something so significant to it. And I don't feel insignificant in who I am, but I know that God is, is, 
I know that God is before me, constantly drawing me and calling me to himself. And how does he do that? His, his, the spirit of God draws all people to himself. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and I believe that's what prayer does. Prayer is us responding to the call of God on our lives. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. It's this reminder that God is our source. He is our provision. And him alone is our source and our provision. I was talking to my daughter and even my son the other day about forgiveness. And they were talking to me, why should they forgive? <laughs> you know, if, if something bad happens, why should they forgive? Of how Christ instructed the disciples to pray. He talks to them in many ways in this concept of identity. He talks to them in this idea of, of priority and where you should be focused. He says that you should say thank you to God for giving us or giving them what they need on a daily basis, almost identifying he is the one that provides it to you. Say, so God, thank you for daily provision. And I, God, I'm acknowledging it does come from you. I'm not foolish enough to think that it comes merely from the work and toil of my hands, but it comes from you, and I'm grateful for that. And then forgive us our sins to acknowledge that I've sinned before God. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Why do we forgive? Because we've been forgiven much. Forgiveness, the principle of forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom. For those of you who struggle with it, no, we've been forgiven. And out of our forgiveness, we receive from heaven, we receive salvation. And that's why Christ compels us. He says, don't carry unforgiveness in your heart. Don't go through your day with it. Don't, don't allow it to, to be a weight upon your shoulders. Don't let it overwhelm you and constantly pressure you down. He says, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins, O God, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Keep a pure heart, family. Forgive those who have wronged you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God is our protection, and he alone protects us. And guides us. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. We'll just read these three verses. They're very short, but this is what he says. He says, be joyful always. What a statement. To be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Other translations would say rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the things of God. Be joyful always in every circumstance, in every situation. And you and I might say, how is that possible? We say, how is it possible? Because we are naturally formed to respond not from what is inside of us, but that which is exterior to us. That what, what happens around us in our circumstances, in our situations. We are so pre-wired and programmed to respond by everything outside. But Paul reminds us, that's not where your joy comes from. And for some of you, it's like this is like, it almost seems impossible, does it not? It almost seems impossible. How in the world can you tell me to be joyful always? You have no idea what I'm walking through. You have no idea what I'm going through, what I'm dealing with, or what's going on in my world. But I'm telling you, it's because it's a paradigm shift 
for many of us to say, no, my joy does not come from that which is outward, but rather what is in me. And you would say, well, then what is in you? The Holy Spirit, Christ, is in me. And that's where my joy should come from. The Bible says, rather than worry, pray continually about all things. Not just some things, about all things. I know some people will teach that you shouldn't pray about some things, but I don't believe our Father in heaven would ever be upset about you having a conversation with him. To pray, to ask for faith and Grow in your knowledge of God. I remember hearing someone teach, well, you shouldn't pray for faith. The Bible already says that if you want faith, it's through hearing of the word. And that's the way your faith is increased. But my friends, there's stories in the Bible where people um, pleaded with Jesus to help their faith and their unbelief. David would call out on the things of God and plead with God saying, God, just help me. This is where I am. I need your help. God's not going to be offended nor intimidated by the requests that you make of him. He just wants you to commune with him, to talk with him, to walk with him. Many people always ask, what is the will of God for your life? Well, that's it. That's it. You're like, what? That verse. (laughs) Be joyful always. Some of you are robbed of your joy. And I'll be the first to admit, it's easy. This is how I know I'm being robbed of my joy. When I'm more concerned about things being in place around me than the structure and the relationship that I have within me. To be focused on the things of God, to dwell in that place of contentment in what he's already blessed me with, in the things he's already given me, it enables me to almost realign the way that I do life. Have you ever had a paradigm shift through a situation or a conversation? Ever walk with someone this past week? One of my best friends had to bury, give a eulogy of his wife who passed battling cancer. She was, I believe, 39. They have three young children. But the joy of the Lord in his heart, in seasons where you're watching, you're saying, what? I can't comprehend this. This doesn't seem to make any sense. Some of the things of the Lord seem to be a paradox. Paradox just, it means that things seem contradictory to one another, but upon further investigation, there there is this evidence that they are found truthful. And for us, there seems to be a paradox in this, like how can there be joy in death? Where is this, we mourn, but then there is rejoicing. How can they be connected? There's this paradox of the scriptures to say, how can we call Friday good? How can we look to a cross and and see a crucified Savior and say that's good? It's because the death of one man brings the freedom for an entire world. That though Friday starts, it ends with, with Sunday and a resurrection. And this is for all of us as we journey through the Lord. I'm telling you, you will be caught so easily by the sin around you. You might think sin, all of us get our minds captured on on what is the most sinful thing. Some of you, sin is is having uh, an affair or, or saying these things. And yes, they are sinful things, but you know just idolatry is sin. To place anything else before God. So it's like strip everything else away in your life. 
Push it all aside. Sometimes when you watch other people walk through difficult seasons, it's the greatest refinement that you could witness without walking through the season yourself. Greg Piatek was one of, the found, one of those um, members of the founding families of this church. And he went home to be with the Lord years ago. But I remember when we were at JMT, he was battling brain cancer. And he would, before he was unable to travel with his company, he would travel around the world. And he'd come back on Sunday and he'd be in God's house and he'd be at the door every Sunday greeting people with a smile. And as his cancer progressed, it was, it was like the enemy was constantly trying to rob him of his joy in the Lord. But we would pray every Sunday. And, and I got to tell you, family, one of the most humbling things, I'd, I'd, I'd be preparing my message in the back and, and, um, and Kelly and the family are still part of our, our, our family here at True North. And, and I remember there was times where Greg would come into the, to the green room as I'm preparing. I saw Kelly kind of going like this, but she didn't know. And I had a reminder, it blessed me so much. I, I, he would come in, his head would be bandaged up. And I would get ready to say, hey, let me pray for you. And before I could say anything, he says, no, I'm praying for you, Pastor. And he'd reach his hands out and he'd pray for me. And he'd, he'd encourage me. He'd pray for healing and salvation. And, and I wouldn't let him leave without praying for him. But there's something I was being, I was being ministered to in an environment where you would think it would be the other way around. And I was just learning in seasons of life that, man, we see things so backwards. And God's basically trying to teach us as followers of Christ, listen, you, look, you see life one way. I, I really want to help you and teach you. You got to change the way you see it. You got to let the Holy Spirit flip it upside down. What is a priority now probably should be last. And what is last should probably be first. If you want to be first in the kingdom of God, be last. If you want to lead, serve. To love people, to care for people. What is it? What does it look like? I believe that we're strengthened in this joy when we pray continually. To stay connected to God. To walk with God. In what circumstance? In all circumstance. I'm going to give thanks. Some of you, <laughs> stop saying some of you. Talk about myself again. I get frustrated sometimes when I see the all. I wish there were exceptions in there. Please see the following, you know. And if there's a few lines written out, you could be, if you're dealing with this, you could be frustrated. Now, I believe we can be frustrated, but there's a joy that comes solely from knowing and walking with God. And to have that is the greatest. Philippians 4, 6, Paul doubles down when he writes, to the church of Philippi, he says, be anxious for nothing. What a counseling statement. <laughs> Don't be anxious. You know, let me tell you my story. And then at the end of it, we want to hear like Paul rewrite the word inspired by the Holy Spirit and said, oh, oh, now that I know, be anxious, you know. Now he says, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because He's trying to flip the way that you see life. He's trying to let you know that eternally you are secure in Christ. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. Nothing. No matter how you see it, no matter what you look at, no matter how you try to slice it and dice it and figure it out, nothing will separate you from the love of God. No, no failure, no loss, no death, nothing. 
Why? Because Christ has conquered it all. The scripture is trying to, to refine us in this way that we see not only Christ, but we see ourselves in light of the finished work of Christ. That we are new creations. Stop thinking the way that you used to think. Stop seeing things the way that you used to see them. Stop telling God, God, fix this. And maybe ask the prayer and say the prayer, God, fix this, my heart. Fix my eyes. Let my eyes be refined in you. Some of you are like, I don't like small groups. I don't like serving with other people. I struggle with it. Do you know the very things that you don't like are often the very things that you need? <laughs> it's like, eat this. I don't like that. I don't care. You got to eat it. You're like, okay, I'll eat it. You know? Hey, you need to do this exercise. I don't want to. Well, you need to. Okay, I'll do it. You know? It's like God's constantly telling us often the things we don't want or the things we need. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here it is again with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. How can I be thankful when I feel like I'm being robbed of something or I don't have what I need? Well, you can read it two ways, I suppose. But Paul's writing from what he has in Christ, not what he has from the world. So my question to you is, is, how are you submitting your request to God? Is the request not on what you have in this world or is the request knowing first what you receive from God? If you know what you receive from God in Jesus Christ, when you go to God in prayer, you always go with thanksgiving because it's always more than enough of what he's blessed you with. Let the peace of God which surpasses or transcends all comprehension. Let that guard your heart in your minds in Christ Jesus. I think that's one of the most powerful promises. Be anxious for nothing, true north, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and let the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, let that guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. An old English Baptist minister F.B. Meyer writes, The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer to God. I love this quote by Samuel Chadwick. He's just a legend for the Lord and minister of the gospel. But this is what he says. He says, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. He fears nothing from prayerless work or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he will tremble when we pray. There's something powerful in our prayer. Whatever, wherever you are in your journey of life to pray, some of you say, yeah, God knows. Of course God knows. But there's something that's refined in you when you pray to him. We're going to pray before we go. But I want to encourage you. Some of you are like, I need, to, I need to know more. You don't need to know any more than what you already know today to talk to God. Begin to talk to the Lord. I want to close with this one verse before we go today. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. 
Jesus, I'm going to switch something up. Is that all right? I heard one person say short, so I'm doing it. That's all I need, really. After Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he goes into this interesting um, parable. And he says, um, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight. Listen to, listen, listen to this parable. He says, suppose one of you have a friend and you go to them at midnight and say to them, friend, let me borrow three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. That's a fair response at midnight. I think that's quite kind at midnight. <laughs> he says, I can't get up and give you anything. This is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up, and give you the bread because of your friendship with him. Yet because of your shameless audacity and persistence. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And then Jesus says this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. I think the Lord wants us to be persistent and seek Him. Not as He's trying to draw us along through this prom empty promises, but so that we would learn to depend and trust on Him. As that passage or those in, in the Gospel of Luke continues on, it moves to chapter 22, and Jesus is having the Last Supper, and He's right around that portion of time, and He's talking to His disciples, and they start arguing, remember that, like, who will be the greatest, you know? And what a conversation to have around Christ, you know? Who's going to be the greatest amongst us? Jesus says something to Simon. And I just think this is powerful. I want to leave this with you before we pray and close today. He says, Simon, Satan has asked. Listen to this. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I think it's a reminder of the limited power and authority that Satan has that he needed to ask permission to take one of the disciples out. But listen to Jesus. He says, but I have prayed for you. That's what he says. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Right after that, he would tell Simon he would that he would deny Christ three times. It's almost as if the Lord's telling us, listen, you're going to have failures in your journey, but be persistent towards me. That when you are reestablished, 
centered on me. <laughs> Strengthen other people in the faith. Let me pray for you today. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Every time we gather, we don't depart. We don't leave without giving those of you present an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. What we shared this morning is the benefits and the privileges and the promises that come from knowing God. And not just knowing God, but surrendering our lives to Him. The scriptures teach us that we have a debt on our lives because of sin. There's no way to pay that debt. The Bible actually teaches us that the only way to forgive sins is through the shedding of blood. So if you and I chose not to receive Jesus, what we're really saying is I choose to shed my own blood to pay for, for my own sin. And apart from the work of Christ, there would be no other way. But because God in his love towards us sends his one and only son from heaven to earth, the scriptures say that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but rather to save us. It might be to save us from what? To save us from ourselves, from our own sin. The Bible teaches us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Salvation comes through the confession of one's mouth and the belief of one's heart. You might say, well, then is that it? Is that how we receive salvation? It is by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. It means you can't, but God can. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. We deserve death because of our sin. But by the grace of God, we don't get death. We get salvation. I want to pray for you today. Maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. We're going to say a prayer right now. And God sees your heart and your response. And if you're ready to say yes and surrender your life to Jesus, my friend, it is the greatest and most significant decision you'll ever make in this life. And I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that casually. I say that seriously. There's no greater decision on this side of eternity than to surrender your life to Jesus. And we're going to say this prayer. You're not going to say it alone. As a family, we're going to say it together. Come on, True North. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and defeated sin and death. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, clap for everybody that said that. Come on, church. Clap for them. Really clap for them. Celebrate them. Come on, stand to your feet with me. I want to pray for you before you go today. If you said yes to Jesus, as you leave in the lobby, you're going to see a bunch of our team waving these Bibles around to give from from our family to you, we want to help you on your journey with the Lord. And so make sure you go up to them and say, hey, I said yes to Jesus today. We want to celebrate you. We want to uh, help you on your journey with the Lord. We'll give you um, the new a copy of the New Testament to help you in your reading with the Lord. You were not created to do this life alone, so make sure that you tell someone you said yes to Jesus. For everyone else, stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray a blessing over you before you go. God, we are humbled by your word. God, help us in how we see shift something in our hearts today we ask God may humility be more evident in our walk may gratitude and thanksgiving be on our lips God 
not in our minds, not in our thoughts, not in our prayers, may it be on our lips. May when people get within the proximity of hearing our voice, may they hear thanksgiving and praise and joy. May we be known unto men by the way that we love one another. May we be known by the way we give thanks and praise and glory to you. May we be joyful always in all circumstance, not because of what's happening around us, but for what has transpired within us. Father, we ask that you would guard our, guard our marriages, guard our families, guard our children. Father, we pray that you would make a way for the expansion of this house, God, as we seek you over the last several months for, for permitting and approvals, God, to expand this house. Father, we believe that when you declared that we are to go into all the world proclaiming the name of Jesus, Father, that that mandate rests upon the sons and daughters of heaven. Father, we believe that as we increase this house and you enlarge our territory, we will reach more people for Jesus Christ. More marriages restored, more people set free from addictions, God. More people walking with Jesus, Father. More people walking free from anxiety and fear, walking in peace and strength and the knowledge of God. And Father, we rebuke any attack of the enemy in the name of Jesus, Father. We rebuke anxiety and fear, for you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so, Father, I pray that we would carry that with us this week in all that you lead us to. Father, go with us as we go. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And a faithful church said, amen. amen. God bless, family.